Welcome to TA1. Everything you want to know about adventure racing and then some. I'll be your host, legendary Randy Erickson. Flying solo tonight. Just got back uh, from taking the chili dog out for a nice windy hike. And um, get this done and get it up. Sort of a, a holiday edition. Except it's not really a holiday edition. It's a regular edition around the holidays. So, um... Getting in the swing of things, getting ready for Christmas around here. Hope you guys are too. Um, what else is happening? Yeah, not a lot. Um, I will say a little bit about um, the Eco Challenge bump, maybe, so to speak. Everybody wondering if it's going to um, help the sport. And I will say that, um, <clears throat> excuse me. I uh, posted a link for the Adventure Race Adventure Race Teammate Finder page uh, today on the Eco Challenge on their page on the comments and had like 20 people just today um, asked to join that. So people are interested. People are looking for teams. I'm probably getting one one person at least today. Um, hey, do you know anybody? So, um, if I know anybody and you're out there, let me know. I kind of got a little list started, and uh, we'll see if anybody will uh, work out for you, hook up, so to speak. Um, that's probably enough. Get this going, get it out, so you can all enjoy me not talking so much. So, go fast, take chances. Don't die and have a Merry Christmas. Yep, this will be out before Christmas. So, thanks for listening. Bye. Hello. Flair, this is Randy. Hey, how are you? I am doing well. How are you? Good, thank you. Good. Can you hear me all right? I can. So. Cool. Awesome. Got a fancy new Good. headset, so I'm <laughs> testing it out. <laughs> yeah. Good. Um... All right, here's a hard question. What do you yeah. do in the real world that you're at work today for? Yeah, no, I know. Um, I teach at university. Ah, so, and what do you teach? Um, I teach, uh, teach in the business school, teach management, and, um, yeah, and some research methods kind of stuff. I'm studying as well. I'm trying to finish my PhD, so I'm kind of studying psychology and teaching management. At the same time. Uh, <laughs> maybe yeah. I don't want to talk to you if you're studying psychology. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Um, yeah. So, okay. Can we talk management a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. So I've <laughs> never been in management. Never mm. really been around it. You know, in the construction yep. world, it's me. But um, yeah. One of the guys that I was at Baja with was a project manager for NASA. Like, he was in charge of the spacesuits. Wow. And yep. he said the team needs management. <laughs> and he spent, yeah. four hours, spent four hours probably on this grad-level course. But what's, what's the key to managing people? There's an easy question. Uh, gosh, what's the key? I would... I would personally say it's caring about people, I think. Um, having some empathy. But I'd take a very soft approach. Well, that's interesting. I mean, that's so management's just like real life. You should be nice and care about people. That's what I think, yeah. Yeah, I think kindness and caring goes a long way, yeah. How do you become interested in in, in being a manager and teaching it? Oh, well, weird process. For me personally, you mean? How did I get into that? No, how did you become that? How did, you, yeah. how did this become what you do? Well, I um, became interested in psychology through sport, I guess. Um, interested in sports psychology and went back to university after kind of 10 years away and um, did some psych papers and then um, just, you know, got sold on, well, someone sold me on the idea of, studying organizational psychology because there might be 
jobs at the end of it as opposed to sports psychology. <laughs> <laughs> so not a very good story, but I guess I became interested in um, a lot of the things I learned about sort of seemed to apply to various jobs I'd had and um, seemed quite relevant to work and to sport as well. So it um, wasn't a very deliberate path to teaching management. That just came up because there was um, a job going and yeah. yeah, and I sort of teach the human resource aspects of it in the in the course I teach. So, teach about teamwork and leadership and um, communication and culture and and those sorts of things, which all sort of um, quite nicely to the. Oh, so you broke up there a little bit, but I th- I think you were saying that kind of applies to adventure racing. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah. I think it does, yeah, definitely. All right. Um, mm. Before we get into adventure racing, what's your what's your psychological profile of Nathan Fave? Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. And, I will, and I will warn you, I'm going to warn you, I'm talking to him tomorrow, so. <laughs> yeah, I have to say only nice things. <laughs> no, I, um, oh, I, I was so lucky to get to to race with him because um, he's just really is an incredible leader I think mm-hmm. just very um, oh, how would I I don't know if I can profile him but yeah just really good communicator and um, he's I suppose because he's had so much sort of training and understanding people through doing his um, you know outward bound teaching and, and just all the racing he's done he seems very good at tapping into other people's psychology and sort of understanding how they tick and then drawing on that in the race situation. So, yeah, pretty so, pretty incredible to, leader. Yeah. Is it so to me the the layman's is he he taps into what you need, what his team yeah. needs. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, seems really good at doing that. Is that I'm going to First dumb question of the night: Is that really hard for somebody to do? Can you, or maybe, yeah. it's can you learn to do that, or is that something natural that people like Nathan have? Uh, I think that there's probably a natural tendency to be a bit more like that, but I think it's definitely something that could be learned as well. But maybe you need to, um, maybe people sort of need to be taught, you know, to become aware yeah. of the need to do to do that and understand why, and then and then learn a bit more. Whereas for some other people, maybe this comes more naturally. Yeah. Is it um, um, like recognizing that you can do that? Um, recognizing that you have that ability to see that and then you, you learn to work with it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Okay. Yeah. See, this <clears throat> armchair psychology here, when I read <laughs> Nathan's book... What I came away from reading his book is that he he saw these opportunities. I mean, all mm. these things happened to him, and he recognized what opportunities they were. Yeah, and, yeah. And took advantage of them where. Yeah. Maybe we wouldn't. We wouldn't see that us weird people, norm, normal people. Normal people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or I think sometimes um, normal people see the opportunity, but are a bit afraid to take it, or mm. or see the barriers. Like I haven't. I have read his book, but I sort of can remember talks he's given more so than maybe the book. And yeah. I remember the first time I heard him speak before I sort of knew him, but went to listen to him speak. And um, the main impression I got was that just he wasn't afraid to do things. So he'd see these opportunities and sort of, you know, think, why not? And just go and do it. Whereas a lot of other people would have been put off by the barriers that were there. Yeah. So yeah. are you are you like that? Um, nah, <laughs> no, I'm pretty good at, I'm pretty good at seeing the barriers, I think, I'm being a bit afraid, so, but, um, yeah. Well, but you must have a, you must have a way of conquering it because I'm assuming you got a phone call or an email and said you want to go to the world championships and, and you said yes. Yeah, I sat on it for a couple of days, I sort of mulled it over and thought, do I, don't I, and, um. Yeah, and actually probably had other people talk me into it more than talking myself into it. Mm. Mm. So, was, but So was it hard for them to talk you into it? Um, 
Oh, I'm not too hard. I suppose <laughs> just took a couple of people to tap into what was actually holding me back, and, you know, mm. and challenged me, I suppose. And I was just yeah. a bit insecure about it, and they said, you know, why don't you just give yourself a shot and give it a go? So um, not too hard once they found the right spot to to tap on. Yeah. Did you think, was your hesitation, like, was it physical or mental? Uh, mental, definitely mental. Mm. And I think maybe it should have been physical because I had such a short lead-in period for training. Yeah. Like I definitely wasn't in, you know, adventurous training mode and only had six weeks, seven weeks to train. So it should have been physical, the hesitation, but it was definitely more mental. Yeah. That's interesting. So what do you – we jump around, cause, but we'll get, we're get, I want to get to your background and all that stuff too, but what cool. what do you do when you have seven weeks to train? Um. Well, one of the pretty handy things about this was that I um, I know that Nathan writes training plans for people, and mm-hmm. and I'm good friends with Sophie, who had you know traditionally raced in the Seagate team with him, and I knew that he'd often put together a training plan for her. So I kind of said to him, "Yes, I can be in the team, but can you tell me what to do <laughs> to train?" <laughs> so um, he put together a plan for me, and that was really good because it meant. You know, partly it meant I didn't have to think about how to plan my training, but also it kind of gave me reassurance because I thought, well, if I do everything that's in this plan, then I've met Nathan's expectations as far as preparation goes, and that gave me a bit of confidence that I'd done that's what cool. I could going into the race. Yeah. Yeah. So, what kind of uh, volume and intensity and kinds of training did he have you doing? Um, well, I had a few constraints because I work full-time, so I had to mm-hmm. build around that. But I sort of basically said I had a couple of hours each day in the weekdays, and then I could um, devote weekends to it. And so I was training pretty much every day. I had maybe two or three rest days over that six weeks. Um, and weekdays, I'd just be doing one or two hours, what I could fit in either before or after work, so that would be shorter, sort of higher-intensity sessions, you know, running or biking kayaking mm-hmm. do intervals and things but then in the weekends just getting out for long walks in the hills or long bike rides in the hills um, longer paddle sessions so weekends could be anywhere between 4 and 10 hours I suppose of training in a day so, so that's a pretty good volume and so like a lot of intensity during the week and then just a little like cruise but but volume yeah, in the weekend yeah long steady stuff in the weekends yep yep so did you think then, were you confident physically then when you went into the race? I was confident that I'd done what I could with the time I had okay. available. Um, but I knew that six weeks is not ideal for, you yeah. know, for racing the world champs. So, um, yeah, like on one hand, I was confident I'd done everything I could with the limitations I had. But mm. it still didn't leave me feeling great about racing at that level. Yeah. Well, I mean, it worked out, but so does this change your perception of what you can do and how you can do it? Um, yeah, I guess it helped me realize that I could sort of put my mind to something and do it. But mm-hmm. I think the result, you know, having done the race and and the team winning the race, um, it was much more due to you know, good teamwork and the strength of the guys in the team than it was to do with me being able to get ready in yeah. time or training and things. So, um, yeah, I don't think it changed too much of my perception, but it, just, it um, was an incredible experience in seeing how well a team could work together and have someone who was limited in preparation and yet still perform at that level. Yeah. Um, do you feel you really, that you slowed the team down or they made you go as fast as they would have anyway? I think that if there'd been someone who had more preparation in the team from the spot I did, you know, they probably would have gone faster. Um, yeah, I'm pretty confident <laughs> of that. Um, but, you know, I suppose it wasn't too much of an impediment. You know, we still yeah. managed to stay in front. But, um, yeah, it's, it's hard to it's hard to sort of think on those terms. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then again, there's the thing that 
by slowing down that little tiny percentage, maybe that paid off in the long run. Um, you know. Well, I think I think what it did is um, made us think harder, made us think really hard as a team about how we were going to plan the race and the strategy we we're going to take. Because um, you know, coming into it, I was pretty underprepared, and Nathan had had a year off racing world champs as well, so he was um, sort of coming back in after a break. So we kind of thought we've got to work around those things and work out what we can do as a team. So I think we we're much more conscious of. Um, you know, wanting to race carefully and not wanting to um, burn ourselves out on the first day and that kind of thing. So, yeah, maybe having maybe having me coming in so late and being relatively underprepared did actually make us be more deliberate in how we raced and more careful about sticking to our race plan and, and you know, looking after each other. Yeah. So, and I guess I read that too, that yeah, the plan was to go out conservative. Was it? Yeah. Was that hard? Um, you know, because sometimes, you know, the race starts and you just want to go as hard as you can. Yeah, was, yeah. Was, were you able well, to follow your plan? Yeah, we were. We definitely were. And I think that the um, the course itself lent, you know, it played into our hands quite well because it started with that crazy first stage, like 107k trek with a massive amount of climbing. And um so that was, you know, that made it pretty easy to resist temptation to go too hard because it was just such a long, demanding stage that we knew you'd just be silly to go too hard in that kind of stage. So um, I think that made it easier to stick to the plan. Were you, once the race started and that first track and stuff, were you around people? Were you able to gauge your effort or just you don't worry about that? Just do what you do. Um, we were definitely around people for most of that stage, quite a lot of it. Um, definitely the first two-thirds, I think, there would have been other teams around us. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was kind of interesting watching what other teams were doing and looking at how they were, um, just how they were going, how they looked like they were feeling and things. And um, But we were, I mean, we were pretty good at just sticking to our own thing and thinking about ourselves rather than them. It was kind of interesting more than anything, I think, to um, see other teams that were going reasonably hard at such an early stage and such a long stage and just just noticing those sorts of things yeah. and not paying too much attention. Yeah. So so were those teams like going hard and getting in front of you or were they – was their hard kind of your easy, your conservative pace? There were, yeah, I suppose there were some teams that looked like they were going fairly hard and going at the same mm. pace as us. Then there were other teams that were going quite a bit faster than us. Yeah. And we had, you know, every now and then team would, mm. could run past us going at a pretty fast speed. And um, we felt pretty pretty comfortable and confident that um, they wouldn't keep up that pace for the yeah. whole race. And, yeah, so we were quite happy to watch them go by and and felt like we'd probably be seeing them later on in the race. And, you know, as it turned out, we did. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, for you, was there a point in the race where you started feeling more confident and, and um, for a lack of a better term, like part of the team? Um, or when, did, I guess, when did you feel part of the, like you were part of the team and, in contributing, and, and when did uh, the mental part kick in for you? Um, I mean, I guess I felt like I was part of the team, definitely, from mm. from the get-go, you know, from when yeah. we had training session together and things. Um, okay. But I also felt like my role in the team, it sounds a bit lame, but I felt like my role was sort of to do what I could to look after myself and keep up. So, you know, as far as doing things like... Um, being physically strong or carrying any of the team gear or helping with decisions or navigation. Um, I wasn't really contributing in that way, <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, my job was sort of to communicate with the team and let them know how I was doing or what I needed, um, how I was feeling, and just I really felt like my job was actually to look after myself to make sure I could get to the end of the race, and that was kind of mm. my, my job in the team. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, well, I mean, I certainly wouldn't underplay that because that's got to be hard to really monitor yourself and, and 
and be honest with with um, you know like guys that won like seventy five world championships. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you sort of have to put your ego out the door a bit, I think, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, and it's not always easy to to let people know how you're feeling and yeah. if you need a bit more help or um, yeah, to admit those sorts of things. So um, yeah, took a bit of effort <laughs> to do that, yeah. I guess. <laughs> So when was the, when did, um, or did you as a team, like, make a move, quote unquote, you know, to, to yeah. start racing or, or, or did it just happen? It really just happened. I mean, we, we stuck to our plan right from the start, stuck to our plan of how we're going to race. I guess looking back on it, um, and I know Nathan's kind of identified it in his race report and things that there was a point sort of about halfway through the race where we had a, a bike ride where we had got to the front and we sort of picked up the pace a little bit and and made a bit of a gap at that point. But I don't think there was any really sort of deliberate or definitive move. I think that we just stuck to our plan and were really steady and consistent throughout the race. And... Um, and that sort of paid off. I don't think there's any sort of big defining move or anything like that. Yeah, just that li- that little bit on the bike ride where it's like, you know, let's just let's just push just a little harder and see what happens. Yeah, yeah, and just yeah. see if other teams sort of followed or, you know, if that made a difference. But um, yeah, it wasn't a it wasn't sort of a big premeditated strategy or anything. It was just a, a move at the time that seemed to make sense. Hmm. Yeah. So. Um, so nuts, nuts and bolts of the race a little bit. How much sleep did you have? We actually had quite a lot. I had definitely had more sleep than I've ever had in an expedition race before. Um, they had the, they had a rule about sleep where you had to take twelve hours across mm-hmm. the course of the race. They had to be taken at the CPs and, yeah. and TAs. So we had that twelve hours, um, and then we had an extra sort of four hours on top of that as a result of being in a dark zone on the second night, and then we had another. I'm not sure, maybe an hour and a half on top of that. So we sort of, we used up our 12 hours of sleep time and then we took it even longer, um, which was really good. Um, yeah. You know, Nathan um, definitely took the approach that to race well, you need to sleep well and wasn't at all afraid to um, take long sleeps because he knew that we'd actually come back a bit stronger and be able to race harder in the next stage. And, you know, that, that definitely paid off. I've been in teams before where we've thought, oh, we'll just go really light on sleep so we've got more time to race. And, you know, you go backwards rather than forwards if you do that. So yeah, lots of sleep, yeah. Yeah, we've, we've seen that strategy from him before. Um, did, did you like the mandatory 12 hours? Yeah, I actually did. I didn't think I would going into it. I wasn't so sure about that rule and I thought it would sort of get in the way of race strategy and things but um, I did actually like it and it was quite interesting seeing how it was playing out with other teams mm-hmm. and um, quite nice knowing that you just sort of had that downtime that had to be used as well so yeah, yeah. it's good Was it a did it end up being a big part of your strategy because I would s- assume you'd want to you know figure out when you wanted to sleep you know and how yeah. to get to the places I think no, I mean, in terms of the time that we had to sleep, I think we would have slept for 12 hours plus anyway, regardless of the rule or not. Um, okay. It did make a bit of a difference, you know, because you had to sleep either in the transition area or at a checkpoint. So that took away a bit of the flexibility because normally, mm-hmm. you know, you'd pick a nice camping spot out on course or something. Um, yeah. So that made a bit of a difference, but um, it it didn't seem to be a problem I think and we managed yeah. to find really comfortable spots to sleep in so that helped as well yeah well you know it's a rule for everybody right so I guess yeah yeah exactly yeah. everyone's in the same position yep. yeah so do you guys sleep at night or during the day we slept at night all of our sleeps okay. are at night I think um, looking back on it yeah and that always feels a bit easier you know just being dark yeah a bit more comfortable yeah yeah no, it is, but I mean, I've, I know some people that like sleeping in the day because it's warmer. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I, I guess on reunion it was it was hot, so it might have been a bit too hot to sleep, and at night it was mm-hmm. just a comfortable temperature. Um, 
you know, pretty, didn't have to wrap up too warm, just could sleep in a comfortable temperature. So, hmm. yeah, it was good. So did you have any kind of extreme weather? Um, we we did a bit. It was actually, there were quite a few contrasts in the conditions. So when we were down low, you know, it was it was pretty warm and humid and hmm. quite hot. But then when we got up to the top of the volcano, sort of on the second to last day, it must have been, um, it was windy and rainy and misty and we'd been quite worried at the start of that day about the heat and we were sort of anticipating being um, being really thirsty and short of water and being hot on this volcano but we actually found ourselves using all of our gear so we had to stop and put all our thermals and wet weather gear on and all the mandatory equipment and was still really cold so it was huh. it was quite surprising um, wasn't what we expected but I think part of it was actually just that we're at that point in the race where your body gets quite sort of hypersensitive to temperature changes. So, you know, there were tourists walking around up there in shorts and plastic ponchos yeah. and we were wearing all our gore-tex. <laughs> and so maybe it was, you know, a bit more reflective yeah. of us than actual weather, but it felt kind of extreme. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, your body is just really tired and it's it gets cold. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. that shutdown sort of mode, yeah. Um, which is, which is more miserable, being cold like that or being like thirsty all day? I personally find cold more miserable. Okay. I find it harder to deal with cold than heat and thirst and and things like that. Yeah. 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 Um, I think I would rather. Yeah, I don't know which I'd rather be. <laughs> <laughs> So, I think cold. I like yeah, yeah. I like to drink a lot. <laughs> yeah. but, um what's what's something I'm not gonna say the biggest thing, but what's something that you found really different that you, you know I'm sure you had this perception you're gonna go race with, with these guys, you know. Mm. And and so what was something that was like, oh no, they're not or it's nothing like that. Either good or bad. Good or bad? Um, gosh. Well, I think the biggest surprise for me was um, how consist- how little they stopped. I guess. I suppose <laughs> my 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 anticipation was that it'd be really fast. You know, it'd be mm. it'd be hard racing, and um, the reality was that it wasn't a massive amount faster in terms of pace. You know, over over ground, but just incredibly consistent and they never ever stopped um, mm. which you know is really different from other teams I've raced in so just no downtime which is yeah. a huge strength of the team yeah just just yeah no stopping which yeah good, I mean hard. that's yeah you watch them and they that team will come into a transition area and you, you turn away and turn back and you're gone yeah yeah that's impressive There's, um no screwing around. <laughs> yeah. But I think, um, you know, one thing that did surprise me in a good way, in a really good way, was um, how relaxed they are as a team. So you'd kind of expect a bit, um, you know, things to be a little bit serious maybe because they mm. are defending champions and high stakes and all that. But the team was just really, really relaxed and nothing was an issue. If things went wrong, um Everyone just sort of took it in their stride, and there was no stressing over what had gone wrong. It was just mm-hmm. okay. What do we do next to deal with it and keep going? Yeah. So how, that was really cool. Yeah, I mean, how important do you think that is to their success? I mean, they, they're losing no energy by stressing. Yeah, I think it's hugely important. Um, you can lose so much energy sort of mental energy by worrying about things that have happened and mm. usually they're things you can't do anything about anyway you know if it's something yeah. that's gone wrong in a race then you can't you can't change that so um, all you can do is waste a massive amount yeah. of energy stressing about it so I think that's a huge part of the success just being able to stay calm and keep moving forward no matter what's happened yeah did did you guys have any kind of major mistakes and I'm going oh, to major just mistake like where you lost more than 10 minutes. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, it's all relative. Um, Chris might say he'd made a mistake, but that actually meant going backwards for, you know, two meters or something. So, yeah, I no, know. <laughs> um, no there, there weren't any 
major mistakes. We just had um, the one incident I was thinking of in terms of things going wrong is that at one of the abseils, the bottom of the abseil, Chris was um, coming off the rope and the the guys at the top of the ropes were pulling them up, you know, to check if the rope was free to put the next person on. And they did that as he was taking his descending device off and it sunk to the bottom of the river. And oh. so that was a little bit of a problem because um, it's compulsory equipment that you needed to be carrying, but also a problem because we had quite a bit more abseiling to do in the race. So we're going to have to figure out how to how to replace the gear and how to explain why we didn't have the piece of compulsory equipment. Um, so that was the only real issue we had. And yeah. we just um, had a workaround in terms of the actual abseiling. Um, he just oh. used a different technique to, to do it. And we got to a... CP and got issued with a penalty for that and um, you know everyone was just pretty calm about it and took it in their stride and yeah so no sort of no dramas or stressing about how it happened or what we're going to do it was just let's work out the solution to the problem and keep on going. Well I mean it's a sometimes it'd be like be so cool to just be the the fly in the jungle to watch watch you guys work (laughs) like that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That was a privilege of, you know, getting to race with the team was being that fly in the jungle, yeah. I guess, and seeing how, it, seeing how they operated, yeah. So, um, so if we're going to exclude crossing the finish line, but what was, the like, the highlight of the race for you? Oh, <laughs> excluding crossing the line, okay. Um, I think uh, in terms of the course and the things we got to do, I think the highlight for me was... Um, the pack rafting stage that's around the pack rafting, there were two main rivers that we rafted down, and the second river of the two was um, really beautiful gorge, really felt quite isolated and in the wilderness, and fun rapids, um, kind of felt like the place, kind of place not many people would get to go to, and so that was probably the highlight as far as the course went, and the, you know, sort of excitement and adrenaline and that kind of thing. That was a really good stage. Yeah. Um, Here's something I've been sort of thinking about in the last 15 seconds. <laughs> so <laughs> you're on an island, not a huge island, and it's like this big resort vacation spot for most of France. Yeah. Was it remote, or were there were you in any civilization or around people? It was a really strange mixture. Um, Nathan and I were sort of joking about it a bit, and our in our raft on that particular stage because you'd feel, there were times when it would feel incredibly remote but then 30 minutes later you know, you'd be crossing a road or you'd be amongst people or going past people picnicking on the side of the river so it was a strange sort of juxtaposition I guess where one minute you'd feel like you were in the wilderness on top of a volcano mm-hmm. or in the jungle or in a river gorge and then not long later you'd be back because the yeah. island's so small, you know, it wouldn't take long before you'd sort of Cross the threshold and you were back in a town or on a road or yeah. in a tourist spot. Yeah, so quite un- quite different from other expedition races I've done in that sense, where you know other races you might feel like you're in the wilderness for days at a time, but this race it was hours at a time at the most, at the very mm. most. Yeah. So did Nathan let you stop and have ice cream? I'm sure he would have let us stop if we'd had the opportunity. But we, didn't okay. really, we didn't really get the opportunity. Okay. <laughs> no good shops nearby. Yeah, and we we certainly didn't deviate off course for, you know, even a street block or two to get an ice cream. No. Yeah. <laughs> Just wait till the end of the race. You really yeah, exactly. It. And we actually had really good food with us as well, so we didn't really feel like we needed to stop and get extra food. Yeah. So, were any of the stages like? Really, uh, like the, the the food reminded me of this where you really had to carry a lot of uh, you know food and water and stuff or were they kind of you know moderate distance where you weren't carrying everything we carried a lot on that first stage um, okay. because you know it had been predicted to take 36 hours or something like that and we weren't sure what the water availability would be like so we carried a lot on that stage and um, you know a few teams made fun of us on that stage because the packs were so big. Chris and Stu yeah. in particular looked like they were carrying gear for about a week on that stage. But, um, yeah, we did carry a lot because we wanted to make sure that we actually were 
eating well right from the start and getting enough calories in and not going into sort of deficit right from the beginning of the race. Yeah. Yeah, but the so other stages, of, um, yeah. pack rafting stage, you had to carry a lot of gear just because there is so much gear um, when you've got pack rafts involved. Aside from that, the stages were quite reasonable in terms of length and distance. So, cool. So, um, what do you give... You're a teacher. What what do you give yourself as a grade for for your race? For my personal race, as opposed yep, to the team. Yep, for your personal race. Yep. Oh, um, on our grading scale, we have a uh, grade. I'm looking at it now, but something like meets expectations, which would be in the B's. <laughs> I think I give myself <laughs> a, a solid B. <laughs> I don't think okay. it's anything. It, yeah, um, I I probably. I probably give myself a bit of a higher grade for um, for not giving in. I think I definitely had quite a few moments in the race where I was just thinking, "Man, it'd be nice to just ask for a break, you know, and just to yeah. say, Nathan, hang on, just need two minutes to sit down." But um, but I resisted. I knew that you know it wouldn't go down that well for a start, yeah. and it wouldn't help anyway. It would just slow us down and. And he probably wouldn't say yes anyway. So, yeah, I'd give myself an A for um, resisting temptation to sit down on the side of the road and call a time out. Yeah. But, well, yeah, good. I'm, that, pretty solid B. Yeah, yeah mm. I'm going to say that's – you give yourself the correct grade, which is hard to do. <laughs> hard to be self-critical. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, all right, let's go back in the time machine. What – how did you get into this and what kind of a background in sport did you have? I, um, background in sport, I've sort of been involved in multi-sport for the last, I guess, 17, 18 years. Um, but from a really participant sort of view, you know, I definitely wasn't competing at a high level when I first got into it. I just thought I'd have a go at some multi-sport races and chipped away, to, chipped away for a few years and seemed to kind of progress and get a bit better at the sport and did quite well in the coast to coast race here in New Zealand and from that I started getting opportunities to race in teams for adventure racing um, so I suppose about 10 years ago I was doing quite a lot of adventure racing and racing in various teams and overseas races um, mm. did that for a couple of years and then actually got quite kind of burnt out and and sick of it and injured and broken and was over it. So I actually pretty much stopped racing. And we've got the God's Own Race here in New Zealand, which um, started a couple of years after I'd kind of sworn off all racing. So I did that for a few years. But, um, yeah, actually thought that I'd stopped international racing for good until this World Champs opportunity came up. So... I guess I'd had kind of quite a few years of racing and experience doing different races, but it had been a while since I'd done anything at a high level or in a really competitive way. Yeah. So when you were racing a lot and traveling, um, how good were you? Uh, I I was okay, I suppose. I raced in, um, in a couple of teams that did quite well um, in... Oh, some of the races in China and the Abu Dhabi Adventure Challenge that was mm-hmm. used to be held over in the um, in the desert <laughs> in, the, yeah. in the Emirates. Um, so podium placing teams, um, but you know I hadn't been in a winning team in an international race before until until this one. But I mean, you you were at high enough level. Um, well, let me so. Um, how do I want to say this? So did that? Um, so you competed at a high enough level that you you knew what it was like. Did that help you? Yeah. With with this. With, yeah, with I knew what I was in for definitely, and um, and I suppose that I'd competed. A, I'd competed in races that were hard enough that I knew just how to suck it up and sort of get on with it, and how to suffer. Yeah. And I think that really helped. And. Um, yeah, and in individual races, I suppose I've done reasonably well in individual races, like coast to coast. So um, knew how to push myself and keep going, you know, when the going gets tough, which definitely helped. 
Yeah. So, um, is the is the suffering easier when you're winning, or is it still suffering? Uh, no, it's definitely easier when you're winning. I think, <laughs> yeah, because there's a purpose to it, and you can sort of see that there'll be some kind of outcome that um, is going to make it worthwhile. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and there's a lot at stake. You know, it's, it's easier to keep suffering when you know that if you were to give in and call it quits, then um, that might lead to um, a lost opportunity, I suppose. Yeah, well, I guess yeah, you, it doesn't take much like to let your guard down, and and uh, mm. bad things can happen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So when um, and we'll we'll use Reunion Island. Just, just as an example, when do you allow yourself to start thinking about the finish? I really didn't let myself think about the finish until we were there in this race. Yeah. And, um, you know, as a team, we didn't really talk about the finish until we were there either. Um, I think there were stages that were quite demanding right until the end. The second to last stage was a eight or ten hour mountain bike or something like that that had a couple of thousand meters of climbing so it couldn't really feel like the race was over until that stage was out of the way and then the, mm. the next stage after that was only an hour or an hour and a half short quite urban stage to get to the finish line so um yeah I, I personally didn't let myself really think about the finish until we were actually on the beach um walking toward the finish line and mm. that's the first time we talked about it as a team and especially in terms of winning the race we didn't talk about it until we were pretty much there on the line yeah is that just um you don't want to jinx it or you just you know you're just getting the job done a bit of both i think i think you know the most important thing is getting the job done and and i think in a venture racing you've got to be really present on what you're doing in each particular stage and not wasting energy you know thinking about what's coming up or presuming outcomes and things. So definitely yeah. a bit of getting the job done, but also, yeah, you don't want to tempt fate. <laughs> don't want to, yeah. definitely don't want to jinx things and celebrate too soon, for sure. Yeah. It's, um, you know, in, in American baseball, when a pitcher's pitching a perfect game, nobody ever mentions it. Yeah. The entire game. Yeah. <laughs> so, they, yeah. You don't want to yeah. be the one to jinx it. <laughs> Yeah, and I think, you know, with a sport like adventure racing, um, anything can happen. So that last stage was a pack craft, and even though the stage was only 90 minutes long, you know, there's still a chance that you're going to rip your pack craft open on a sharp rock or something, and, mm-hmm. and you know, who knows how long it would take to fix it. So there's, you, I think you can't take anything for granted until we actually are on the finish line. Yeah. Um, were you? Did you take anything away from the race that helps with your teaching anything you learn from from the team um although i mean the, the whole team experience was just a good reminder of how important good communication is mm-hmm. um and good i suppose trying to understand where people are at um that helps for teaching i think and understanding students and what they're up to if you sort of remember um yeah, to try and understand what someone else is going through at any particular stage. Um, and I think for me, for the study side of it, I'm trying to finish writing up my PhD at the moment and um, it feels like a kind of never-ending journey and I think back to the race, sometimes when I'm trying to write and feeling like I'll never get there, I think back to the 34 hours or however long that we were trekking for in that first stage and that felt like it was never ever going to end and it felt like I was getting nowhere <laughs> <laughs> I think you know PhD yeah. just like that it'll, it'll happen eventually the finish yeah. line will get there no matter how bad it seems at the moment yeah, yeah. so alright so here we're going to find out how good a teacher are you are explain to me that so I understand what's your PhD about oh jeez <laughs> that's hard <laughs> uh, so yeah well my PhD isn't really related to what I teach so if I do a terrible job I've got that excuse but um <laughs> Uh, it's basically about mindfulness. Um, so mindfulness is a natural tendency rather than a trained kind of skill and how that might promote day-to-day well-being amongst sport coaches. 
So I've sort of looked at the positive effects of mindfulness as a kind of attentional state or a way of thinking and how that might impact people in terms of the stress they experience day to day, um, how much they think about their work outside of work, um, what positive experiences they can take from each day and whether that sort of has an impact on their day to day mood and energy and general well-being. Yeah. Okay, I get that. Yeah. I th- cool. Okay, you, you get a passing grade on that. Okay. For me. <laughs> Thank so, you. Yeah, all right. Um future. Are you are you ready to race some more? Have you caught the bug? Um I don't know. I you know before this race it was completely I thought it was completely out of the question that I'd ever race again at a competitive level. So it was quite a lot to get my head around just getting back into it. Um, I would say I'm more open to the idea of racing again now. (laughs) If the right opportunities came up, you know, I'd be open to the idea. Um, But immediately, like in the immediate future, I just need to get the PhD written. So I'm trying not to think about anything until that's off my desk and out of the way. And after that, I'll... um, you know, maybe be open to opportunities if they come my way. But at the same time, it was such a, a such a worthwhile experience and such a good experience to race on reunion and race with Avea and and you know be part of a team that won the world championships. That if that was it and I never got to race again, I'd be pretty happy with that as a it's a pretty good way to go out. You know, to yeah. go out and part of a world championship winning team is pretty awesome, really. Yep, you get to put world champion on your cv that's pretty cool yeah that's that's not a bad thing to be able to claim so you know thanks I mean, to three sort of superhuman teammates who got me through yeah. it but yeah yes <laughs> you know i good. have i have an age group world championship from like 15 years ago and i still brag about it so <laughs> it's worth bragging about you know it's, well, it kind of is so uh, it's awesome um so kind of like two final questions it's sort of one but um one, how come you're still teaching? It's like a week before Christmas. I know. I know. <laughs> it's a pretty empty building. I think there's only two of us in our offices on this floor. Um, okay. Yeah, but some of my students are still here, so that's, that's why I'm still here. And and part of my workload at the moment is just writing my own research. So Yeah. Because so. I've got a wee way to go with that then, yeah. Oh, and also because I used up all my annual leave going to Reunion Island. So I've got to stick yeah. it out until the university's actually shut down. <laughs> so. oh, okay, there's that. So, yeah. and um, yeah. what do you, what do you, this is, this is a dumb question from somebody that lives in the Northern Hemisphere, but what's That's your right. Christmas like? What do you do? Well, the ideal Kiwi Christmas, it would be hot and sunny and we'd be outside having a barbecue and be nice and warm but it's actually been raining here in Christchurch for about the last month I think and it's not that warm um but yeah it's summertime so Christmas is traditionally pretty outdoors and um you know for me personally it's family time so hang out with my parents and my partner will be there and catch up with extended family and just all get together and hopefully sit in the sunshine and have a nice lunch and yeah just catch up and Get some good quality family time. That's cool. I I swear, if I keep hanging out with adventure racers from Australia and New Zealand long enough, that I'm going to come down there for Christmas just to see what it's oh, like. Oh, you should. <laughs> you definitely should. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, it's pretty good. So, well, cool. Well, I'll let you get back to work so you don't get in trouble. Thank you. <laughs> and I get... Yeah, I've got a student arriving in nine minutes' time, so it's good timing. Cool. Perfect. And I got a little dog that wants to go out for a little hike tonight. So, oh, nice. Yeah, we'll go do that. It's it's like two degrees out here, so it's not bad. Celsius and a little windy, so yeah, we can. Yeah, I can handle slightly, that. For, slightly colder yeah. than it is here. <laughs> yeah. So, cool. But we do, don't have any rain or snow. Yeah, well, you're luckier than us in that sense. It's it's grey and cold and raining here at the moment, so yeah, so not so much looking forward to the bike ride home from work. Yeah, but you'll still do it. That's the difference yeah, between you and other people. <laughs> so, wow. But, all right. Well, thank you. Cool. Have a Merry Christmas and good luck yeah. on PhD. Yeah, to you. Cool. Thanks. Thanks very much. Okay. All right. See you. Thank you.
you're concerned about my happiness But all that thought you've given me is conscience, I guess If I were walking in your shoes, I wouldn't worry none While you and your friends are worrying about me, I'm having lots of fun Counting flowers on the wall, that don't bother me at all Playing solitaire till dawn, with the deck of 51 Smoking cigarettes and watching Captain Kangaroo That'll tell me I've nothing to do Last night I got dressed up pretended I was on the town As long as I can dream it's hard to slow this swinger down So please don't give a thought to me I'm really doing fine And you can always find me here and have a quiet time Counting flowers on the wall that don't follow me at all Playing solitaire till dawn With the deck of 51 Smoking cigarettes and watching Captain Kangaroo Now don't tell me I've nothing to do It's good to see you, I must go I know I look a fright And anyway my eyes are not accustomed to this light And my boots are not accustomed to this hard concrete So I must go back to my room and make my day complete Counting flowers on the wall that don't bother me at all Playing solitaire till dawn with a deck of 51 Smoking cigarettes and watching Captain Kangaroo Now don't tell me Have nothing to do I don't tell me I've nothing to do